Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. It's a mailbag show today. We've gotten so many questions that have come in this week that we wanted to just kind of put a halt on everything else for a little bit and just get to a lot of the questions that have come in. We're also going to keep our phone lines open through the entire show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've got an agronomic question, we want to help you. I know planting season is really rolling in many areas of the country and also spraying season, so lots of things going on out in the fields. In fact, let's head up to Michigan just to start things right now. We've got Dwayne with us uh, with a question on quick grits. Dwayne, how you doing? Hey, not too bad. How about yourself? Good, good. Uh, what's your question, Dwayne? Well, I bought and paid for quick roots for soybeans in December and I just got informed the other day because I haven't got my seed delivered yet that they changed the formulation and it's into a wettable powder and I was wondering I don't want to use a wettable powder in my seed box and I was wondering if there's any other options. Oh yeah that's a that's a tough thing to find out last minute if if you've got a handling change. I wasn't happy about it. No, so you've got seed that's already been treated with the fungicide and that kind of thing, and you just wanted a planter box to throw in some more of the uh, biological or natural things? Yeah, I've been using it for years. You you guys got me started on it. Okay. Uh, Brian, uh, I guess... What do you what do you see from natural things besides inoculant? I mean, obviously there's rhizobia inoculant that's available in a dry planter box. Any other planter box things you're thinking of, Brian, on the natural side? I, I use the the inoculant too, the dry. Okay. Yeah, I, I I guess I don't know what to say if the quickrits planter box isn't available anymore. What do you swap it out with? If that's the question. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I yep, I I don't know what to say there. Uh, most of the things we're getting anymore, it seems like, are these either wettable powders, so you spray it on the seed, or you use a liquid and you mix it in, or you put it in furrow. So yeah, I they're really gearing. This whole industry is really gearing up for the seed dealer to do treatment for you and getting away from farmers doing the stuff themselves and. There's there's just less options in this uh, dry planter box market than there been. Which, if any of these manufacturers are listening, there's still a market out there for dry planter box treatments, and you're missing out if you don't guys. have some. Yeah, all the little guys still need that. Yep, I agree. I agree. Well, we've got a box planter too, where we could use some of those things as well if we have the option. And and you know when you think about it, there's a lot of different seeds now that are coming pre-treated, and that's your shot. If you if you're going to put something on, having a dry would be a really good way to go. Well, my I'd so, be all for getting the, the seed dealer to treat it for me, but uh, uh, that's that's geared towards. Uh, totes and all that and i don't have the ability to <laughs> to handle all that without spending a bunch of money and it's too late to do all that now yeah yeah sure yep yeah i would say um for our for our producer janelle um we'll, we'll put him on hold here and then why don't you get his contact information and we'll see if we can find him some somewhere of the dry and that's that's about as much as i think i can do at, at the moment so yeah i don't have any other real great options hey Dwayne, thanks for the call really appreciate it and good luck here with planting hey, I season i appreciate your time you bet 
All right, Brian, got a get some soil tests from Brian. Oh, yeah, but hold, oh, hold, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yep, before we get all into that, um, I, I guess I just wanted to start the show today by saying we still are getting all kinds of calls from farmers and emails and everything else. People are really worried about the COVID-19 thing, obviously. But more than anything, I, I just continue to talk to people, especially I, I spend a lot of time working with agronomists around the country and just hopefully help convey to them that, look, there is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to get through this whole thing. So I, I just say hang in there. The the crop markets stink right now, but there are a lot of things that are down. I mean, the economies in almost every country around the world are depressed right now, and it's a challenging time. But we'll get through this, and I, I guess I, I I would just say this. If you're depressed about all these other things that are going on, just really look for the little things that can bring you joy each day. Even like Darren was mentioning, planting. Okay, I'm super happy. We're going to be half done with corn planting on our farm today. And last year, we hadn't even started. I mean, the ground was still frozen solid at this point last year. So things are a whole different looking up that way. It's a nice sunny day here where we're, where we're at on our farm. We have a lot of, uh, in terms of, you know, this whole COVID-19 thing, a lot of good news is coming. We're getting better treatments. They're doing a lot more testing. Vaccines are already in human testing. So hopefully we're going to get through this thing sooner rather than later. But anyway, I guess that was the number one thing that I wanted to say before we do anything else on the show today. I realize it's tough times right now. But you look back in history, our nation, our world has faced a lot of tough times before. We've made it through. We're going to make it through again. All right. Hit the mailbag music quick for Brian's sake. It's the mailbag. All right, Brian. Got uh, one from John in Michigan, and he said, I love listening to your show, but I think you've been downplaying this virus a little bit. think it's more serious than, uh, than you're talking about. I farm full-time, and I'm also on local fire department as a paramedic. Uh, you want to comment well, that on email, that? Didn't that email? Well, didn't that email come in like a month yep, ago? Yep, yep. It came in early. Month? It came in early. <laughs> well, thank you for bringing an old email up. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I mean, all I know is this: um, there have been a tremendous amount of deaths, a tremendous amount of illnesses worldwide. But again, we just have to. We can't focus so much on all the negative stuff. We have to try to manage through that it's terrible i feel terrible for all the people that have been afflicted by this thing but we're gonna get through it we will get there it's just like i say it's really tough times so yeah i i i I don't know what else to say it's just it's an awful time that we're in right now but we'll make it through I got one from Jesse, too. He said, with this pandemic, livestock producers are being hit especially hard. The meat processors have had issues, and some of those are traced back to ownership. Maybe time to make a comeback with farmer-owned meat processing. Yeah, Jesse, I'm sure a lot of farmers sharing the thoughts with you. What do you think of when you hear Palmer, Amaranth, or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Hey, Adam. New drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for Heads Up Seed Treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on AgPhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're having a mailbag show today. We've got so many questions that have come in that we're going to try to address as many of those as we possibly can today. And we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's dive into some soil tests here, Brian. This one came from Brian up in Idaho and his agronomist. And uh, they, they took some soil samples back in February, sent them to a lab in Washington, but the results just looked goofy. So they Took samples again, sent them to Midwest Labs, and they've attached both of those reports. It's rented ground, year-to-year lease, uh, surrounded by creeks and lakes. Most of the field's fairly flat. They're planting spring wheat and said they have had trouble when they've tried to do winter wheat because it's so wet often that it drowns out the crop. And they, they think they've got some drainage issues out there. I think you do too. That sounds pretty pretty obvious. So the spring wheat comes up good, looks good, but but their yields have been pretty disappointing and they should be getting twice as much yield easily. Their program has been 100 pounds of urea broadcast and then harrow it in before planting and then they're coming back with another 100 pounds uh, with something like a 16-16-16 and a top dress of a foliar micro. And he said he did mention he's got low CEC soils, but they've got a heavy clay layer underneath. Now, they're not doing any deep tillage. Just wondering what you think about the calcium. They know they're low. And also if they should be using some ESN nitrogen in that low CEC soil. Well, yeah, the CEC is like three. So I assume this is irrigated. Uh, I think so too, but they've got clay underneath and that's interesting. I don't know when the clay starts. That would be good information to know of how deep so is in that. In situations like that, what we usually like to do is take zero to six inch samples, then six to 12 inch, then 12 to 18, then 18 to 24. Now you don't have to do these in a lot of spots, but at least in some spots. So then we have some kind of idea what's really going on down below. But if all I have to go on is, uh, is this soil test that I'm looking at right here, 
Well, the sodium is is real high. That's one of my concerns. Obviously, with a 3 CEC, you're not going to raise anything for crop unless you have irrigation out in that dry country. So I have to assume that this is irrigated, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'll just tell you there, there are almost no nutrients in here. I mean, that's that's the thing. You got like 50 or 60 parts per million of potassium. Well, that's not going to raise a big crop. Neither is five parts per million of phosphorus and one part per million of zinc. So, you know, there, there are just a lot of nutrients that need to be addressed. Now, yeah, to your point, Darren, if there's um, heavy clay down in the 6 to 12 inch range and that's where the crop is accessing nutrients we don't have that information so it's hard for me to answer these questions very well but just looking at the test real quick i would say first thing that i'm going to be addressing is the ph is low you're into the mid fives that's too low for wheat and most crops and really low for alfalfa if you'd ever raise that so i'd be putting at least a little bit of lime on you don't need much just a little bit then I'd be getting phosphorus, potassium, zinc, copper, and boron out there because they are all not just low, they are very, very deficient. Yep, lots of things to look at. Now, with that field being rented ground, that's always a challenge when it's a year-to-year lease. And if you've got situations like this, should you be striving for a long-term deal? Should you be focusing more with in-row fertilizer with something like an agro-liquid program? but here's the whole thing, Darren. It's a three CEC. There is no such thing as long-term. There is no such thing as building it up. I mean, it's pure sand. It is pure sand. So when you've got pure sand, you just worry about this year anyway. I mean, would phosphorus and zinc stick around? Yes, but there's really, there isn't much else that's going to stick around. So you just have to do the best you can and um, keep in mind when it's wheat, there, there is no option in terms of in-row and strip-till and all these things that we often talk about in corn and soybeans. So you're, you're kind of stuck. I mean, can you do a little bit of agri-liquid stuff? Sure. I mean, a little bit is fine. But, I mean, realistically, we're not talking about what we normally talk about in the Midwest, rented ground versus owned land and heavy soils and long-term leases and everything else. I don't really care that much. Um, It's not that big a deal to me. So now that changes if we do have actual clay down below, but again, we don't have that information, so I can't really make any judgments on that. All I know is what I've got in front of me, and what I see in front of me is pure sand, and it's not going to hold much of anything for very long. All right. Thanks for the question uh, uh, from Brian and his agronomist. Appreciate that. Get one here. This is from Eric. And he said, what would you recommend to kill off an established conventional alfalfa stand that's going to be planted to, to corn very shortly? The grower would like to plant in the next seven days and has used LV6, dicamba, and Roundup with MSO in the fall before... Uh, he's asking questions about elevore, if that would be something that could help, or other no. things you would do in the spring. No, no. You just go out there with a pint of dicamba and you're done. So that's all I would do. In corn, In corn, it's no big deal. An HPPD that you use is going to burn it back. Worst case scenario, you can use status post-emerge. But use a pint of old Banville or Clarity, and it's done. Okay, so, so the question, right. what about Roundup in the spring? Because I love a high what rate of Roundup. The, the question is, is that alfalfa growing actively enough for the Roundup to really work? 
Well, it's the same thing as the question for dicamba. It's got to be growing actively either way or neither product's going to work. And my concern is, is any of that alfalfa Roundup resistant? I don't know that. So to be on the safe side, I'm just saying, go use dicamba. That's going to pretty well wipe it out. I'm not concerned. The only reason I'd throw Roundup in is if I've got a whole bunch of grass. Okay. Uh, very good. Thanks for the question, Eric. Uh, David's oh, and by the way, when we're trying to kill alfalfa, quite often there is quack grass or some of these terrible perennial grasses. Absolutely. So that's the reason. That's the reason I would throw Roundup in. But do not use 2,4-D in the spring in front of corn. That can and absolutely will hurt the corn in certain situations. I've seen it before, and guys really hurt their stands. They hurt their yield. Don't use 2,4-D in front of corn. And, use and, dicamba. Much, much, much safer. And as you mentioned, if we have some issue and we have a few escapes, you still have status you could come back with to, to wipe them out too. Yes. All yes. right. Uh, I got a question from David here, and he said, I got a question on fertility for you. I understand the concept of placing fertility below and away from the seed for good root growth. On your yep. show, you mentioned that if you need extra nitrogen, you might apply that with your pre-emerge herbicide. I assume this sure. fertilizer source will work its way down to a sufficient depth to be helpful, but just wanted to check yep. about movement into the ground. I am mainly growing sunflowers. Yeah, in terms of nitrogen movement into the ground, it goes down with rain. It leaches in all soils. I don't care if it's heavy or light. So we were just talking a minute ago about sandy soil. Well, I mean, that holds almost nothing. And if you get a rain, that'll move the nitrogen down super quick. But even in a really heavy soil, and even if you don't get lots of rain, if you have rain soon after you've applied that nitrogen, you hopefully at that point haven't lost much, And I mean, to evaporation and it will move down into the soil profile. So ideally, I'd like to put my pre out along with my nitrogen shortly before a rainfall. So hopefully it works out that way. If not, it'll stay there for a little while and you can certainly use a nitrogen stabilizer with it to keep it there longer without losing it. All right, thanks for the question, David. Got one from Henry. He hears us talking about planting corn on our farm, and he said, well, with corn planting right now, I'm wondering where you guys think the corn market will take us this year. I hope that we don't see prices fall further, but I'm afraid that they might. Oh, they're going to fall further, I believe. Now, I'm optimistic that they're going to come back because here's what ends up happening. Whenever prices go real low, then you start seeing a lot more exports. You seeing you start seeing a lot of other uses. Even like now, okay, the ethanol plants are shut down, so all those DDGs that people were using for food, food, which by the way are very high protein, they have to replace that. What are they replacing it with? Well, when corn's cheap, they're going to replace it in a lot of cases with corn. So, I mean, we're going to have a certain amount of demand out there worldwide. I'm not tremendously worried about the long term for corn, for beans, for any of our crops. People are still eating. So we'll, we'll catch back up eventually. But in the short term, yeah, it's tough. And hopefully we'll get through this thing in the next few months, and then things will start to get a lot better. We'll get back to more of your calls and questions right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're having an Ag PhD mailbag show, so we're taking your calls and questions throughout the whole show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Brian, get a little feedback. This is from Larry, uh, who is a, a professor at Penn State University. said, I hope you guys are good, good, good. I happened upon your fabulous video about manure versus compost. 
I'm a retired NRCS person, but still teach a conservation class at Penn State. I've always been a huge proponent of compost, and your video rocked. I was wondering if I could get your permission to use that video in my Soils 422 class at Penn State. Hey, Larry, that's awesome. You bet. Absolutely, you can use our video in your class. Uh, and thanks for, for the awesome feedback. Really appreciate that. We, we do put a lot of content out there, and we get questions often from high schools and, and universities and different ag groups that, that want to use our videos to, to share the word. And that's exactly what we're trying to do is get good information out there and get people thinking about ways they can do things a little different, hopefully a little better and be a little more profitable and also do things that are in the best interest of the environment as well. Got some questions here from Austin in Oklahoma, Brian. I have given you a soil test and a forage test here that Austin sent in. He said, what do you see that could be improved for tonnage and quality? What could be done in the soil to improve tonnage and quality? <clears throat> okay, well, the soil test that I got is not a complete test. I don't have all the information that I need. So, you know, when we, when we are talking about this in terms of soils, some of the things we're looking for, where we always start is soil pH. Now, and here's at 6.5, so that's good. But then we quickly go to can I exchange capacity? And maybe I'm missing it on here, and I, I'm just looking at your at what you gave me, Darren. I don't I don't see can I exchange capacity. I don't see soil organic matter. Uh, then I start looking at base saturation. I don't see the base saturation percentages at all on here. But I need base saturation for K, magnesium, calcium, hydrogen, sodium. I don't have that. I need parts per million, not just of all the major nutrients, but the micronutrients as well. This one happens to say zero for boron. Well, maybe it's zero, but I don't really know. So I just, I would like to see more of a complete test. What I'm saying here is I can't give you a real great answer. It looks like your P and K are awfully low though. 10 parts per million on phosphorus, 60 parts per million on potassium. So that's really, 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 really low. Zinc, 1.3 parts per million, really low. Copper, terribly deficient at 0.4. And boron, if that's a real number at zero, well, obviously, you need more. And when we start talking about alfalfa production, alfalfa needs boron. It needs a whole bunch of other nutrients, too. But anyway, I, I, I mean, that's, I guess, where I would go from there. So I don't, I don't really know in terms of, you know, the quality tests. That's going to end up being driven a lot by the nutrients that we have in the soil. I don't have a complete test, so I can't give you complete answers, but it sure looks like you're really deficient on a lot of nutrients there. But the good news, your pH is about right. I, I will say this, though. With alfalfa, make sure you keep that pH up. So it's 6.5. And when, let's see, where, uh, where, where was he from, Darren? Uh, Oklahoma. Yeah. Usually in Oklahoma, we deal with a lot of low pH, so make sure you're keeping that pH up. Alfalfa likes a 6, 8 to 7 pH. That's where it does best. If it starts getting down and, uh, and the, uh, the pH gets low, well, now we got a real problem. Now, if we're just talking grass hay instead of alfalfa hay, then it's not nearly as critical a thing. But with alfalfa hay... Um, yeah, I get real worried about um, what that soil pH is. If it's not good, if it's not close to 7, you usually lose a lot of tonnage real fast. 
All right. Thanks for the questions, Austin. Really appreciate that. If you do run a complete soil test, uh, I'm not sure what, what your lab charges. We want to see, you know, all the micros, base saturation, cation exchange capacity, like Brian was talking about, and we're spending 25 or $30 at Midwest Labs. So I would assume it'd be fairly bucks, similar, but yep. Okay. Uh, question from Bill. He said, why don't you guys talk about winter wheat just a little bit? What would you do for post-emerge grass control? What are the best options? Well, winter wheat's a little bit different than spring wheat because in spring wheat, we typically have wild oats. And so then we're usually talking Axial or Everest 3.0. Axial is the ACCAs, Everest 3.0 is the ALS. You can certainly use those in your winter wheat if you want to. It's just for the best grass control in winter wheat, then typically it's a fall application. We talk a lot about PowerFlex, and the reason why is because it doesn't have all the carryover that uh, Olympus and Outrider do. Now, Outrider is probably the best when it comes to downy brome or cheatgrass, but it's got the most carryover. Olympus has a fair amount of carryover potential too, so it all depends on what you're rotating to, where you're located, and those kind of things. But that's why we talk PowerFlex as much as we do. Um, there's also Osprey that i mean it all depends on what type of grass you're after and we always encourage every wheat producer to take a hard look at pre-emerge herbicides personally i like prepare because it only costs two or three or four dollars an acre right in that range it doesn't cost much money so you can put that out there in a burn down even with roundup if you wanted to before that wheat comes up but use prepare as a pre-emerge herbicide then follow with something like PowerFlex, and there are combinations that have PowerFlex too, like Gold Sky and Open Sky. But anyway, if you do this in the fall and get yourself well-established, then typically we don't have a lot of problems in the spring. All right. Thanks for the question, Bill. Really appreciate that. Uh, get some feedback. Uh, somebody's watching one of our videos about spraying 2,4-D around the farmyard, and they put a quote out that Iowa State University had saying, history has proven time and time again that herbicide-based weed management will inevitably fail. And I just wonder if we would comment on that when we talk about spraying 2,4-D around the farm, as we've done for the last 40 years. Well, I would just say this, all weed control methods eventually will fail. So you go pull the weeds in your yard, you come back a week later and you go, what the heck, where all, where'd all these weeds come from? You go use herbicide. You do anything you want to do, everything eventually is going to fail. Let's not forget that the weed's purpose in life is just to grow and reproduce. So it's going to do everything it can. So we talk about cultural practices along with herbicides all the time. I mean, what were we just talking about, like with alfalfa, for example, it was, hey, do a great job with fertility. We want a complete soil test. So we can do an excellent job with fertility. Well, part of the reason why we want that is we want to stick a stand as possible at all times. And I don't care if we're talking alfalfa, we're talking grass, we're talking corn, soybeans, whatever. We want a great thick stand that can choke out as many weeds as possible. It's never going to be perfect. But, yeah, we've got to work together with, you know, all these cultural practices, everything from tillage potentially to raising that best crop. When it's grass, it might be rotational grazing. Combine that together with herbicides. Yeah, it's a multifaceted approach. And the more you use that, the whole system, the better off you're going to be. If you're just relying on one thing, whether it's just pulling weeds and that's it, if it's just spraying herbicide and that's it, of course, you're going to have a lot more problems.
I got an email. Uh, this is from Pete. He's 19 years old. He said, I'm going to school right now to get my license to work on aircrafts. Also, working on completing my pilot's license. I'm going to be a spray pilot. Just curious what you as a farmer would look for in an aerial applicator. Oh, also, he said, I'm considering getting a bachelor's degree in agronomy along the way, too. Hey, way to go, Pete. That's awesome to to get yourself covered in a lot of different ways. It gives you a lot of options and also allows you to potentially share a lot of knowledge along the way. If you're a pilot and you're also really good on the agronomy side and you're really good at working on the plane, wow, that's fantastic. So I would say that's, that's a lot of good things. The best thing for us would be, as farmers, to find somebody that has some experience, that knows what they're doing, that can do a really good job. Uh, around the ends and, and of course, stay well, safe and be reliable. let's be honest, Darren. The number one thing we're looking for is somebody who can do the job timely. We need that and somebody, obviously, who is going to do a good job. Yes, I agree with you 100%. But timeliness is number one. Hey, thanks, Pete. Really appreciate the question. Good luck on your schooling. That sounds really neat what you're doing. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. We interrupt this message for an important announcement. In these uncertain times, many farmers are looking to prolong their grain storage. That's why Farm Shop MFG is offering a $12.50 credit per germinator towards the purchase of a Grain Temp Guard Alarm DT, up to $200 per unit. Protect last year's crop and start 2020 off right. Go to farmshopmfg.com to order today. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck tow package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. This is a seed bag. This bag is made of craft paper with a cellophane liner and provides nothing for seed growth. This is a seed bed. It was prepared with Case IH soil management tools. It optimizes everything from nutrient access to water infiltration to create the perfect environment for early uniform emergence. Get to know why your seed bed drives productivity at caseih.com slash soil management. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. 
With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to Indiana right now. We've got Graham and Don with us right now with a soybean question. Graham, how are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. All right. I understand uh, the population didn't quite work out for you, at least not what you were intending. What what happened, and and uh, how far off did you get? Okay, I was shooting for one hundred ninety thousand, and on the drill setting, it, I, apparently why something slipped or something. But anyways, I ended up about two hundred thirty thousand. Okay. I just wondering if there's any way you could thin that down or. I just have to live with it. Yep, and uh, you know, as you're planting these beans, is this uh, about normal time for you to plant? Is this a little on the early side? Uh, whenever it's dry enough is when I try to go. All right, I like it. <laughs> I like that. Well, you know, that population at 230 is is not super super high, but yet a little higher than you wanted to get to. Brian, we used to plant a lot of acres at 250 in a drill, and, and we did okay with that. Are you worried about 230? you think that's too much? Absolutely not. I was worried about lodging is what I'm worried about. Oh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Okay, so when it comes to lodging, uh, I got my brother Brian on here too. What What's your recommendation on that, Brian? Is it potassium? Is that what you were looking at for the soils? Well, yeah, it's just tough to add that as we go. So. I would just say I'm not worried at all about 230,000 plants per acre, soybeans, self-thin. So what we can do is we could try to stunt them, shorten them up, use some warrant early. We could use some cobra right before flowering, things like that to try to keep the plants a little bit shorter. But, yeah, we need more. Yeah, when we, we talk about warrant, so, Graham, and this is a group 15 herbicide that a lot of a lot of farmers are putting on early pre-emerge to get some additional soil residual. If you're using any of those, I agree with Brian, that would be one that would stunt the beans a little bit. It's not one that's going to hurt yield, but it would keep them just a little bit shorter. That might be something to think about. Okay. Thank you much. You bet. You bet. Yeah, we're not we're not super nervous about the 230,000. We've done that a number of times on our farm now. Did you need 230 to get your yield goal? Probably not. I agree with you. 190 is probably plenty, but I don't I don't think you're going to hurt yourself. You're not necessarily going to have less yield out of that 230. Just just might not have No, typically yeah, typically our yields went up as we went up with population. Even today, I would love to plant 230,000 plants per acre. I really would. I'm dead serious. You will get more yield most of the time as long as you don't have sclerotinny white mold. I, I like fixed stands. The problem is just the cost. But the cost is already spent. You know, that's just the way it goes. So, no, I'm, I'm personally not too worried about it. Oh. Yes, you might have a little bit more lodging, but, you know, if you maybe tried to get a little bit more potassium out now, but the problem is you can't get massive amounts of potassium down into the soil, into the root zone at this late stage. So that would have had to have been done earlier. 
but even so, I'm just, I'm not super worried. Do some warrant as an early post. Do some cobra right before flowering. Shorten the beans up just a little bit, and I think it's going to be fine. Okay, uh, I get a question. This is from Dalen, and he said, I'm wondering what would be good pre-plant options for controlling wild oats, kochia, and Canada thistle in spring wheat and Roundup-ready canola. Also, thinking about switching from anhydrous to urea, wondering if you would expect any yield difference between the two. We live in the northeast hey, corner of this? North Dakota. Did we? Did we get this question in a couple weeks ago, Darren? Uh, I think so. I think so. Yep. I think yeah, this one's been there for a bit. Yeah, we this question already. Yep. Yeah. We. Yep. I know. Yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't expect a yield difference on the nitrogen source, and then on those weed control options. You know, typically in canola, it's trifluralin or sonalin. And spring wheat, you boy, you got a couple different things going on there. Sharpen would definitely be the best for kochia. On the wild oat control, you could start off with something like prepare would be a good way to go. And Canada thistle, you're going to have to do a burn down with Roundup to get that. All right. Thanks for yep. that question. Um, got a soil test for you, Brian. This one's from Bruce in Manitoba. And he said, I enjoy watching your show, reading your magazine, listening to your content here. My brother and I have been hobby farming in Michigan since we were kids, uh, corn and soybeans. Just going to ask you a few questions here. We've got uh, some soybeans on this field going for 80 bushel per acre. And just, oh, <laughs> he said deer damage is one thing I know you guys can't fix, uh, but but we did have a little bit of a disappointing corn harvest last year, only 130 bushel. Just wondering what your recommendations or suggestions would be. I, and what I like about this, Bruce kind of went through on his own, looked at what those levels were, and started thinking about, all right, what do I need to do? And and trying to run through some of the same things that we're talking about. And you know what, Bruce? You're right on the money. You're, that's a great way to do it. Just get some practice with, even though you only have a few samples, get some practice, start going through each one of these things as, as you look at a soil test. So, uh, Brian, go ahead and take a look through there, see what you think, and we'll compare notes well, here's, with here's, here, Yeah, but here's, here's the problem. You've got two inherent issues here that you're never going to solve. Number one, it's mostly sand. The cation exchange capacity is two to five on most of it. So that's going to be real hard. You don't have a lot of water retention. And it doesn't look to me like there's irrigation on here. Problem number two is just like you said with deer, I mean, it's surrounded by trees. So, yep, you're right. We can't fix that one. So we've got two big time issues there that we have to deal with. Now, if you take those two out of the equation, then sure, I mean, we can talk about all the other soil things that we see here. So right away, I'm looking at pH. That's for the most part pretty good. We're in the mid-sixes, um, but our phosphorus is a little bit low, not terrible. We got a lot of around, let's call it 30 parts per million of available phosphorus. Our potassium, because it's sand, the base saturation K looks pretty good. We got a lot of three to four base saturation K. I mean, it's a little low. But the potassium parts per million are terribly low because, again, the soil won't hold much. Okay, so, so for 80 bushel, year, you got to keep addressing this. For 80 bushel beans, then you may have a base saturation K above 10, is what you're saying, to have enough parts per million. That's right, and and when you talk to some of the real high yield guys that are farming on sand, that's exactly what they'll do. They'll get super high base saturation Ks because everything's out of whack when you're dealing with sand. I mean, you just, you have to have enough parts per million or put it another way, you have to have enough pounds per acre of every nutrient to raise an adequate crop. And then of course the leachables, I mean, they're about non-existent in here. There's almost no sulfur out here, almost no boron. 
And then you get a couple of other nutrients and a couple of other micronutrients really low as well. Zinc, manganese, and copper, very, very deficient. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I hate to say it, but it needs quite a few things. The problem and my concern is, is it going to pay? Because we can fix all these things, but without irrigation and we're on sand, we're really reliant on, boy, we got to have regular rainfalls. That's for sure. Yeah, lots of lots of stuff to work on there, but I think you're on the right track here, Bruce. And and yeah, have some confidence as you go through those tests. It's just that low, low, low CEC like that. You're going to have to build numbers just a little bit higher, especially on those big NPK and sulfur than we would normally. All right. Whoa, 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 oh, no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't no, have said. No, I shouldn't no, have said the nitrogen. No, no, shouldn't have said the nitrogen. Absolutely not true. Shouldn't have said the nitrogen. Yeah, and- P and K. Sorry. Why are you going to have to build the phosphorus more than normal? You don't have to build the phosphorus. Well, you have to have, have, have what you're going to need. You have to have what you're going to need right, for that crop. That has nothing to do with, you're not going to build it anymore on, in fact, I'd say you don't need to build it as much on sand because it's going to be easier for that soil to release the phosphorus that's out there. You're going to have less tie up in that sand. So the only thing that's out of whack compared to what we normally talk about is going to be the base saturation percentages. That's the only thing that might be a little bit off, and it's just because your soil won't hold much of anything. So when we're talking medium to heavy soils, it makes a lot of sense having 4 to 8% base saturation K. But on a very light soil, 4 or even 8% base saturation K is simply not going to be enough total pounds to raise a good crop. And also, we rarely talk about adding magnesium when we have, um, when we have heavy soil because a lot of the clays in the Midwestern United States and into southern Canada, they are made of Montmorillonite clay. Well, that inherently has magnesium in there. So you don't have to add a bunch of magnesium. In his case, he's got really low levels of magnesium. He's down to, in one, there's one test here, I see 29, 24, 23, 21 parts per million. I mean, just really low on magnesium. So he's got to be adding magnesium too, and a lot of medium to heavy soil guys don't. All right, Bruce has a couple of follow-up questions. We'll get to those right after this. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. 
Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your corn head handle it? The GTS X10 corn head from Agra US is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA-US. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. We interrupt this message for an important announcement. In these uncertain times, many farmers are looking to prolong their grain storage. That's why Farm Shop MFG is offering a $12.50 credit per germinator towards the purchase of a Grain Temp Guard Alarm DT, up to $200 per unit. Protect last year's crop and start 2020 off right. Go to farmshopmfg.com to order today. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin Studio today, taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We're just talking about some questions that we got from Bruce in Manitoba. And he said, a couple, of, a couple last questions for you guys. I, I'm curious what you think with my potassium, if I should just do some banding as well with some agro liquid right alongside the row if that would help me i've got a potential of a two by two or I, i'm sorry i am set up in a two by two system so i could potentially do that and then the other thing is as i'm applying manure would you limit the amount of manure that you're putting out there based on the nitrogen it contains well uh, oh oops sorry got i muted you, you brian got, you sorry about it. that yeah, you got to be careful in terms of what you're applying, so we don't have any environmental issues. So I'm I'm concerned, yes, about the nitrogen, but you know, in light soil like this, you literally could put some on in the early fall and some on in the late spring, maybe if you delay planting a little or whatever. So there might be options to get two applications out. I don't know. All I all I know is yes, you do have to worry a little about the nitrogen, especially in the sand, because it is going to leach and it's going to leach fast. All right. Thanks again, Bruce. Really appreciate all those questions. Got this from Stephanie up in Manitoba. She said, "We're in Western Canada and we're growing grains, oil seeds, and corn. Interested in your three pre program for soybeans and pre emerge program for corn. I'm just wondering, as this ground thaws out in the spring, what do you use for targets in terms of will you go over the ground when it's still frozen, when it still has snow yeah. on it, or do you wait until it until it comes? Yeah, we have no issue. Okay." Yeah, we have no issue going across it when it's frozen. That's no problem at all. It's just you've got to think about, okay, is that ground going to thaw out today? Is it going to thaw out next week or is it going to thaw out, thaw out next month? If it's going to thaw out today or maybe tomorrow, then that's when we want to be spraying in frozen ground. So we did a lot of this on our farm in March and April when almost all the snow was gone. 
the ground had been thawing enough, so things were soaking in, but then we had some cold mornings. On those cold mornings, we were out there spraying when it was 20, 25, 30 degrees, and then it'd get to 40 or 50 during the day. Everything would then soak in, attach itself to soil. That worked fantastically well. So, yeah, we never want to spray on fro anything on frozen ground that's going to be frozen longer term, even for a week. That's no good. So we got to spray on those days where it's going to be thawing in the afternoons. That's the ideal way to do it. Last question she had, if they leave it lay on top of the ground because they're in a zero to a minimum till system, will the pesticide hang up in the stover or is there enough time for it to wash off and get in the soil? It'll wash off and get in the soil. So that I'm not worried about. Just make sure you're using a product that doesn't evaporate. Like, for example, trifluralin would evaporate unless you get rain within a few hours or till it in. So what you can do if you don't want to use trifluralin then is use Prowl. Prowl is the no-till version of trifluralin. It's just, unfortunately, it costs more money. Thanks for the question, Stephanie. Got this from Emra in Turkey. Emra said, I'm growing corn each year or maize, and your advice is very important to me. I'm wondering what active ingredients you think I could be using pre-emerge and post-emerge on conventional corn. Uh, thanks, Emra. Really appreciate the the uh, email. And yeah, I would say active ingredients you want to look for are metolachlor, acetochlor. Uh, those would be a couple good ones that are pretty broadly available around the world for pre-emerge herbicides. Those could be just laid Make on top sure of the soil. Make sure the full rates of those because you want to get great grass control early. That's the number one weed issue in conventional corn is grass. So that's where these, what we call group 15s, fit in nicely. Okay, then uh, as far as post-emerge herbicides, dicamba would be available pretty uh, pretty broadly around the world. We would typically use that for, for killing broadleaf weeds. Um, no, we wouldn't. We'd actually use an HPPD. Yeah, you could use it so if you can find an HPPD. Way cheaper, way safer to the crop. So any HPPD like so, mesotrione that's used all around the world, that would be the thing that I would suggest. And if you want to use any atrazine, keep the rate really low just a quarter pound, half pound, something like that. And you got to be careful about what your rotation is. So if you just keep the rate low, then you get a little bit of synergy with that HPPD. You haven't spent a lot of money and you'll, you'll be happy. All right. Thanks for the questions. And, and thanks for checking us out online too. Really appreciate that. Got this from Caesar over in Illinois. He said, first of all, I want to give a big shout out to all my fellow farmers for this year, because it's been great so far where I'm at in Illinois. Hope it is for everybody else's planting season. And he said, my question for you today, I'm wondering if you could tell me how best to work with my Bear Plus to maximize what I get for rebates. Well, you have to sign up for that Bear program yourself. It's, it's, a, it's a little more complicated than a normal program because usually a retailer will just submit everything for you. You get the money done. This one, you're, you actually have to register yourself and then your, your retailer will put in your purchases. But it's, it's pretty simple after you get the registration done. Basically, all it is is matching acres. So you can talk to your retailer or you can just read about the program online. And all these different companies have program information online, whether we're talking about Corteva, FMC, Valent, any, any of the companies, UPL. So just look online and it'll go through the details of it. But yeah, in terms of how to maximize your dollars, you just match up the items. And the reason why this really plays in for this year is we've got a lot of farmers trying to, because of the economics today, save money on stuff. 
Well, let's say you're getting to the point where you go, well, boy, I don't know if I can afford a fungicide this year. Well, hey, if it's your fourth or fifth bear product you're going to buy, the full rate of that fungicide might only cost you a net of 4 to $7. That's it. So, I mean, it's the most aggressive program we've ever seen in the history of agriculture. And I've been a full-time agronomist for 30 years. I've seen pretty much every rebate program that has come out in North America for 30 years, and this blows them all away. I mean, they're going to spend, I don't even know what it is. It's literally hundreds of millions of dollars that's going to go back to farmers. So if you look at the price decreases some companies took, the massive rebate programs that Bear is doing, for example, and some of the other companies are doing, I'm super excited as a farmer because I know my costs will be down on the farm. Seed came down, fertilizer's down, interest rates are down. And when I look at this kind of stuff and I, I see all these crop protection products down, I mean, yep, we've had a lot of bad news this year as farmers, but at least all these things are pieces of good news. All right, to get Austin on with us right oh, now. That crop feed? Oh, oh, you ready there with Austin, Janelle? Okay, I got Austin on right now with us in Washington. Austin, uh, thanks for calling today. What can we do for you? Hey, guys. Hey, uh, you know, I'm just a concerned potato farmer out here in Washington State. I don't know if you guys have kind of seen what's going on terrible up here in the pacific northwest but uh yeah we're sitting on about a billion pounds of potatoes right now and so i'm just really kind of scratching my head as to what what can we do with these potatoes we've donated quite a bit to food banks and and uh you know trying to donate to some other organizations but as it sits right now it's like every man woman and child would need 600 pounds every day till you know fourth of july to get rid of those <laughs> oh my gosh so i know it I know it. it's and thing, and you then know? you're reading in the media about how they're expecting widespread starvation and and issues in a lot of these developing countries. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of things that need to come together here to to make this all work. I know the government's recent program that they were putting out was going to try to buy up some of these commodities and get them out to people that need them, but I don't know how quick that's going to happen and how much money they've got for those programs. Do you know any more about that, Brian, than I do? No, but I just know this. There, there was People are still eating, and they're eating a lot, but everything has changed, and it's just messed stuff up. Even like with milk, when it's in small containers for all the schools as opposed to bigger containers that people are going to buy for their homes, that's a, that's a big hiccup. And, you know, normally these things come about slowly over time, and they're demand-driven, whatever. Well, I mean, this is literally a shutdown of these things, and just all of a sudden, wham. And, I mean, it's just cause all kinds of issues all over the world so yeah we feel for every farmer out there who's going through these kind of things like for darren and me we're big investors in a number of ethanol plants around here and we haul all our corn to ethanol plants i don't know if well, i'd say big plants, we normally haul to yeah they're shut down and I, so our corn price is terribly depressed we got corn that we're still hanging on to from last year we were optimistic that hey we're going to hold on to it for this summer because there wasn't much corn raised around here. She thought, oh, this would be good for the ethanol plants. They'll need the corn this summer. Well, now they don't, or at least for now. So, yeah, we're hoping everything starts getting back to normal here fairly soon. But again, I mean, the one piece of good news is people continue to eat. Uh, people do like potatoes. They need potatoes. So we just hopefully will get things going back to normal, and it'll get better soon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just been all messed up. And Austin, thanks for the call. Thanks for bringing that up because I think people need to hear about that. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.